When God saves a person from the penalty of his or her sins, he also saves that individual from the person who was driving them into those sins. He saves us from ourselves. And today we'll discuss just how God does this. Hello everyone, welcome to the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. CPE is working with pastors, leaders, missionaries, and countries around the world to direct them in raising up evangelists and disciple makers in their own fellowships. God is blessing, and many are coming to Christ. I want to thank you for your prayers and support of our ministry. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Today we take up a consideration of Romans chapter 6, verses 5-11, through 11, where God reveals that His plan for our salvation involves putting to death the sinner you are in order to raise to life a saint of God's own creating. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And that phrase, the body of sin would be done away with, means that it should be nullified, or it should lose its power, its impulse, its effect. Four, in verse seven, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Now you can imagine Paul looking at and considering and addressing these ones who profess faith in Jesus Christ. You also reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, when we're looking at this passage and you read different commentators, and you know, I counted up the books that I have on the book of Romans, and I've got well over 20 of them. There are different individuals who are chiming in on what is the primary thrust of what Paul is talking about here, and it's kind of equally divided. Some people think that what Paul's talking about here is he's just talking about the work that Jesus did on the cross to make us right with God in order to justify us, to take away our sins and cleanse us and forgive us so that they could be all paid for and we could now proceed forward in a right relationship with God. And so that's where they would say that Paul is teaching. Others, about the same number, would say, no, actually, Paul is pivoted here, and this is what I believe. Paul is pivoted here to really begin addressing the life of holiness, the sanctified life. That is what God wants to make of us, where God wants to lead us. After we've saved, he's set us apart so that we could live for him and we could live through him, his power, his impulse, his life, a holy life, a sanctified, that's what it means to be sanctified. And so really what the theme is here is Paul's talking about sanctification. In a sense, actually, they're not two things. They're one thing, but they're extension of one thing. Our justification being made right with God leads us into a relationship with God in which God produces through us holiness and sanctification, and they go together. One individual by the name of Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a famous preacher about 80 years ago, said that holiness starts where justification finishes. And if holiness doesn't start in an individual's life, we may have a right to suspect that justification never started either. In other words, if you've really been justified, believed in Jesus Christ, and you've received Him, and you're right with God, it's going to change the way you live and what your future is going to be like and what's produced out of your life, and that 
holiness is going to take place. In a sense, there's a middle thing they're missing here, and I think this is really where this passage is addressing. They're missing that at the cross, the Lord Jesus did two things to save us. One was a transactional thing. That is that the sinless Son of God transacted to take all of our sins and the punishment of all of our sins on Himself, and He paid for it with His perfect righteousness and through His suffering in order that in the place of our sins He might give to us a covering or an accounting of all of God's righteousness so that when God looks at us who believed in Him, He sees that our sins are all paid for. He not only sees that our sins are all paid for, but that to our account now, you might say, is the account of all the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why we say Jesus died for our sins. He died for my sins. He took the punishment of my sins. That's a transaction that took place in the cross. But there's another thing that takes place. That's what makes for justification, being made right with God. But there's another thing that Jesus did on the cross. He made it possible at the cross for me to become, who put my faith in him, a completely new person. He did a work that opened up a pathway for something transformational, not just something transactional. And that is where I'm transformed. Because I believe in him and I trust in him. I put my faith in him. The Bible says I'm born again of the Spirit of God. I receive a new life. I believe this portion of Scripture is talking about the new life, the regenerate life. It's called regeneration. The new life that is brought to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that new life actually begins, it's initiated in the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ died. And that is what Paul is talking about here. And We're going to be talking about things we talked about last week, and we're probably going to talk about this for some weeks ahead. Because... Paul doesn't just say this once. He says this over and over and over again because it's such a tremendous truth, and yet at the same time, it's kind of hard to accept that it's true. When you look at your life sometimes and you see the way you behave sometimes, you wake up in the morning. You know, you can go in the morning in a perfectly good mood, and you can wake up in the morning and you don't even know why, but you're in a foul mood, right? You can go to bed with a woman who loves you, and you can wake up and she's, you don't want to go near her if she has a frying pan in her hand. So this happens sometimes. And so as a result, you have a hard time. Well, how does this regeneration thing work? Well, Paul's going to explain this over and over again so that we understand it, but let's go back and consider some things that we've talked about here. And the first thing I want you to see is that at the moment that an individual puts saving faith in Jesus Christ, that individual is planted into the death of Jesus Christ, and so in turn they are brought into the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 6 is talking about. Romans 6 is actually describing and then presuming upon a miracle that happens to us at salvation. It's something so wonderful that it's hard to fully understand, but in the moment and hour in which I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, my old spirit... That old man who was bound in sin and under its condemnation, basically living out a pattern of selfishness and a pattern that was taking him away from the will of God, that old man was put to death. It's as if God took at that moment that I believed in him, my old spirit, who I am in my essence, and he drew me back 2,000 years ago, and he put me into the death of Jesus Christ, and I died with Christ in that moment. And so... What do we read here? Paul says we have been united. That means we've been planted or linked up together in Jesus Christ in the likeness of his death. That's in verse 5. See there in verse 6 he says, 
our old man. Now remember, he's speaking to the born-again individual, the person who's put his faith in Jesus Christ. He says, our old man. He says, your old man was crucified with him. You can see in verse 8, he says, we died with Christ. We've actually read that before in verse 2 as well. It says, how shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? We've died. It's happened. It's taken place. So in that moment, which I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the old man was put to death. And in that moment, a new spiritual man, a new spiritual woman is created and raised in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. That's what's being talked about here. Five and eight. Look at verses five and eight for a second. There it puts the death in the past. It's something that happened. It's there with Christ in his death upon the cross. But then it appears that he puts the resurrection life into the future. Verse 5, it says, that we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 8 says this, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And so we might look at that passage and say, okay, what Paul's talking about is, he's talking about two historical moments Way back in the past, in some wonderful way, I died with Christ in the past on the cross where Jesus died. By the way, a real actual death, an agonizing death, a death that put him into a tomb and they laid the spices over him in death. And I was in that death. And now it's also saying that in the future, I'm going to be with Christ in the resurrection. He's going to return. And one day he's going to call me forth. I might die before he comes back again, but the Bible is saying that when I die, my spirit will go with the presence of the Lord Jesus. And then when he returns to the earth one day, he's going to raise my body as a glorified body. And I'm going to be united back with that body in a glorified way. And I'll be forever with the Lord, enjoying the resurrection life with him forever and ever. And how wonderful that will be. And that's going to be real too. Going to be something that you experience. That's not a theory, a real dream, but it's going to be a reality that's going to take place. So you can look at the passage. Okay, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about that reality of something. Somehow I died in the past and somehow I know, well, I know this. I'm going to live with him someday forever in the future and I'm going to be with him forever. But now look at verse 11. Because verse 11 would indicate to us that this reference to the resurrection that's been made in verses 5 and verse 8 is not to the resurrection we'll someday experience when the Lord Jesus returns, but it's actually a reference to the resurrected impulse of life that we're to experience as followers of Jesus Christ right now in this moment at this time. So here's what it says in verse 11. Paul says, likewise, reckon. The word reckon there just means do the math, add it up, count it up, count it as a fact. Consider it a fact that you yourselves are dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the believer, in a sense, the resurrection has already come. I, when I trust and believe in Jesus Christ at that moment, I come in contact with the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. I have that life. Actually, here's what happens. This is what Paul's saying. At the moment that I put my faith in Jesus Christ to be my Savior, I first came in contact with His death and all that I was and all that was driving me in my sin and in my selfishness, my own pursuits, all that man died at that moment. And then in that death, there was a flash of life and I began to live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And these were combined together. My death, my life comes through Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul's talking about. This is something that, in a sense, we have to get our minds around. But it's this idea that 
the person who believes in Jesus Christ counts the old things he was as completely dead and the new thing he is has been given to him through Jesus Christ alone. I want to just explain this a little bit more to you and try to help you understand this. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, paying the transaction for your sins, he was completely alone on the cross. He was dying in your place. You were not there. Your sins were there, placing upon him, bringing him into suffering and misery, and he bore the hell you deserve alone on the cross for your sins. He was all by himself, dying on the cross, and then when he had finished paying the price of your sins, he cried out from the cross, It's finished! The payment's made. He did that all by himself for you. But then something mysterious took place. After he did that, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then the Bible says he gave up the ghost, which means he died. Now, here's what this passage is saying. Somehow, in some mysterious way, at that moment, I was connected to Christ. At that moment, he was not just bearing my sins, but I was put into his death. And what I was and what I couldn't stop being and what was controlling my nature and my life and driving me into sin and bound to sin was put into him. So that when he went to the grave, I went into the grave with him and I died. In order that I might live and have a new life that would rise up within me that he would give me of himself so that when he rose again, he would give me his life and I'd rise with him and I'd be alive with a new life. That's what the regenerate life is. That's what regeneration is. That's what's being taught with us here. Thank you for joining us at the Bread of Life, where we gather to feast on God's Word. If these messages are feeding your soul, let us know. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to contact us with a message of encouragement. Until the next time, may God bless you.